Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. our bicks and it's really wonderful jeffrey lord from the american spectator wanted to hear that and uh, we're not surprised hi jeffrey hello how are you you know I, I i have a very distinct memory of this being on the floor of the republican national convention in 1984 when president night president reagan was uh, i think accepted his renomination and lee greenwood was there and sang that song live as i recall and uh, it was powerful then it's powerful now he also sang it at the concert at the inauguration this year. I did see him do it, and it was freezing, but everybody was happy that he was there. And they exactly, and I was there for that, too, well, sitting why, right there in the why front. Weren't, and, uh, why weren't yeah, we he sitting in the same section? What happened? I don't know. I don't know. Ridiculous. But anyway, the reason that you're doing the show today is I told them I wanted a little bit of a stem winder for a Friday. And there's such division in the country about Donald Trump. So when I saw that the American spectator named Donald Trump the man of the year, I had to get a hold of you so that you could talk about the many merits that you see for this election and also the fact that you believe, because I read the piece, that people are just sick and tired of arrogant and elitist behavior. Yeah, I, I you know, I, the more I have thought about this over time here, you know, our parents' generation, my parents' generation, the, the greatest generation, as Tom Brokaw called them, from who grew up during uh, the Great Depression and World War II, and uh, their, their dream for their kids was to get an education, a college education. And they did that, too. And the irony is, I think, that, that my generation went off to college and we became a bunch of snots, <laughs> if you will. We had the education, and uh, there was a little uppityness here. There was the whole sexual revolution thing from the 1960s. And I remember my parents saying, in essence, don't go down that road, mm -hmm. or you will live to regret it. Well, however many years later, I think there's a lot of people who are beginning to regret that they went down that road. Um, so do you find major that, yeah. societal change here with this kind of thing. And I just think the the reason... The number one reason, other than the usual things like the economy, that put Donald Trump in the White House is the absolute rebellion against that kind of thing. Okay. And do you think that the, uh, the, the, the sexual revolution has sown today's problems with all these claims from all these uh, high-powered individuals, celebrities, media members, politicians, etc.? Absolutely. I wrote a column a few weeks ago on this, and I... And I I'm, 
I went back and took a look at this because the, the memory was so vivid. I was still living in Washington at the time. When Ken Starr, he, the independent counsel investigating Bill Clinton, put out what was known in the day as the Starr Report, which was quite detailed about Bill Clinton's behavior. And remember, at this point in the larger world, the Juanita Broderick allegation of rape was out there, and Paula Jones and Kathleen Willey and all of this stuff was out there, not to mention the original Monica Lewinsky thing. Uh television viewers would would see every morning Ken Starr coming out of his house to get in his car to go off and do his job, right? On this one morning, Michael Moore showed up with outside Ken Starr's house with a, a batch of people who were dressed in the style of pilgrims and Puritans, waving the Starr report as Ken Starr came out and yelling, fornicator, sinner, in other words, mocking him. And then they went around Washington all day, mocking people. The New York Times wrote this up and said that they thought this was just terrific, that it was, you know, really sticking it to Ken Starr. And, and in essence, what they were saying was all of these women were just, you know, forget them. Mm-hmm. That, that they had, these people had nothing but contempt for people who would protest and say that this wasn't right. Now, suddenly... 19 years later or whatever, we're, we're getting a whole different story. So uh, I, I think the attitude has changed, and I do think that the people who are being summoned forth here are from that era where not only was it okay to do, but if people protested, then they were mocked mm-hmm. and, and told that they were nothing but a bunch of prudes. It's only about sex, you know, grow up, et cetera, et cetera. Interesting. So let's get on to your piece, which you wrote for the American Spectator. President Trump, the American Spectator Man of the Year. And you just didn't write this without justification. And you, you do go over uh, at 10, 10 bullet points that you talk about, Jeffrey. So I, I guess for those who are in disbelief that you could ever do something like this, uh, why do you believe that the president is the man of the year in the eyes of your publication? Well, I mean, first there's these practical complications if you if you voted for him. I mean, he, he put Neil Gorsuch, a conservative judge, on the Supreme Court to replace the late Justice Scalia. The stock market is just thundering along to uh, unbelievable highs. Um, consumer confidence uh, is at a near 17-year high. He's created more than a million jobs by undoing uh, Obama's, uh, some of his regulations. Unemployment's at a 16-year low. Uh, you can go on and on and on with this thing, but I think that there's more to it than that. And I mentioned a couple relatives who I think are typical of uh, the kind of people that I hear from who are Trump supporters, and I've been to these rallies and all of this since he's been elected. I mean, he was here in Pennsylvania, as you know, the other week, and I was there. And this was what interested me, is that they went through a list of things on their own, uh, things like he didn't have to make, raise his voice to make his points. He's determined. He doesn't ride the fence. He holds his ground. He's energetic. Not a one of those was related to a specific issue. Mm-hmm. They were all related to the president personally. And I think that that is fairly typical. I think that so many Americans were just so tired of being condescended to the Hillary Clinton deplorables remark and all of this. Uh, the political correctness, et cetera, that they wanted somebody who would lead a rebellion against this. He does it, and that's the thing that they love him for. And boy, do they love him. I mean, I'll tell you, when I was at this uh, latest Trump appearance here in Pennsylvania, 
these people were, uh, if if anything, as the journalist observed to me from the Harrisburg paper, more enthusiastic now than they were during the campaign. And that says something there. Despite uh, a constant, nonstop drubbing, which the president takes daily in the media, um, recently it was stated that he is in the early stages of dementia. Now, I don't know how reporters make that determination. Jeffrey, I guess they must have went to medical school before they went to journalism school. I'm not sure. But despite all of this and despite the backlash and despite the rancor, you're saying uh, you're seeing with your, your own two eyes that uh, he is as popular as he's he's ever been and uh, perhaps even more so. Exactly. And, and let, let's just remember, not to put too fine a point on it, I, I was a lone voice out there when I was at CNN saying, uh, or one of them saying, he can carry Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and he can win. And, you know, all sorts of people thought I was, you know, had no idea what I was talking about. Well, I was right. And, and this dementia thing, you know, as it happens, sadly, I take care of my 98-year-old mom who does have dementia. I also know the president. I mean, this is like night and day. There is no, there is not the slightest resemblance. I mean, if you're dealing with this every day, as I have to, where she doesn't know who I am, she doesn't know what's going on, she doesn't know where she lives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and she was once upon a time a seriously bright person. I mean, this is just nonsense, and and it shows the kind of bubble that so many of these liberal journalists live in. They talk to each other. They don't get out there. They don't talk to the American people. They don't talk to people in Wilkes-Barre or Scranton or, you know, Luzerne or Lackawanna County or what have you. They talk to each other. And they they go to some D.C. bar and they trade thoughts and then they go back and they write something or they go on television. I mean, it's, it's very insular. And uh, I, I would think that they do everybody a favor, including themselves, by getting out more. Well, they've tried, uh, Jeffrey. We've seen people from across the country and all over the world in Luzerne County in this last year. So they are making an attempt to understand, but sometimes they look at you like you have two heads. You know, the notion, as a Pennsylvania, the notion that people from Wilkes-Barre or Scranton are Martians is what really gets to me. (laughs) Well, I have to tell you they are, but that's just one of the things uh, that they have as an enduring quality. But no, they're... They've been hurt economically. And somebody yeah. asked me about this yesterday, and they said, well, what do you think will happen next year with the midterms? I said, if people, again, feel economic security, they will vote with their wallets. It's, is that absolutely. true or not? No? Yes? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the, 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 when I was in college, there was a governor of Ohio by the name of Jim Rhodes. He was sort of a working class Republican type. And when he would campaign, he would reach in his back pocket. He was a big burly guy. He would reach in his back pocket and take out this thick wallet and slam it on the podium and say, that's what this election is about. Well, I think the guy was elected at least twice, if not a third time. <laughs> Uh, that is always what it's about, uh, among other things here. So, um, yeah, and, and, and now that said, let me just give you the caution. I mean, okay. I, you know, political soul that I am, I've gone back and looked. Presidents, every president since at least 1938 has had a terrible time with these off-year elections, whether they're Reagan or Obama, Clinton, um, et cetera. You can get really clobbered, but then they, a lot of them come back when they themselves are on the ballot and they win in a landslide. So um, it'll be very interesting to see how this goes. Sure will. And um, again, you were in the the Reagan 
administration or you've right. uh, can you tell me a little bit because there's all this uproar about the the tax legislation that seems to be, be being written as we speak and a lot of people are a little jumpy about that and I don't blame them because I think that you need to have this thing firmed up how different is this process now than it was then and is there a, is there a reason why it is different this time around i mean do you well, see some well it, it was convoluted then and it's convoluted now because and and this is part of the problem is that the tax code has just become impossible i mean i bet if i drove to the right place in wilkesbury uh, i would find an h&r block office <laughs> and and the reason for this whole industry is because doing your taxes has become such a complicated thing that uh, people need help doing it. Right. And I think that the sooner we get on with simplifying this, the better. So this is but the latest attempt that's been made over the years. Ronald Reagan succeeded with some of this. Uh, I would personally hope that they reduce the personal taxes uh, a little lower, but the corporation taxes and things of that, estate taxes, or the so-called death tax. I mean, this is crazy. It, and the thing that gets me is I know how Washington works. Everybody says, well, you've got to have money for, for, you know, they'll say something like education or this, that, or the other program that they like. Well, what happens is this money flows into some gigantic bureaucracy. The employees of the government get paid, you know, a hundred grand in salaries, and you've created a whole lobbying industry for one program. And this just goes on endlessly, which is why you have these huge concrete boxes all over Washington with all these government employees. I mean, I think we can say safely at this point with, what, $20, $21 trillion in debt, this is not a good way to go. Okay. And do you, as, as you understand it, we know it's evolving as we speak. Do you support this? Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to. I mean, there are things. I, I as I said, I wish there were more in terms of the personal taxes. But yeah. yes, yes. I mean, you got to get this off the ground, and you can always come back. You can always revisit it. Ronald Reagan uh, pushed for some of this kind of thing the first time in 1981. It wasn't until then they got some things done, but it wasn't until 1986 that they, they got a better uh, bill, et cetera. So it does take time precisely because it's so complicated. Okay, but uh, do you have a feeling like I do that if this doesn't fly this time around, people are going to say, oh, look at the gigantic failure. This president can't get anything done. Well, I don't think they're going to blame it on the president. I think they're going to blame it on Republicans, and I think that's why there is such a an urge on the part of Republicans in the Senate and House to get something done, because I think they know they are under the gun. Very good. Jeffrey Lord of the American Spectator, a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks for agreeing to it. Thanks, Sue. It was Bye-bye. fun. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.